Texas absolutely has one of the best transfer classes in the country going into next season. But where does their transfer class rank amongst some of the best in college football? You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, Texas has one of the best transfer classes in the country. But is it the best transfer class heading into the 2024 season. In the second segment, I found a list that has Steve Sarkeesian ranked as the number five head coach heading into the SEC next year out of 16 coaches, number five. And I vehemently disagree. I'll tell you why. And in the third segment, Texas, after two straight top 11 wins in basketball against Oregon, I mean, excuse me, against Oklahoma and Baylor, they failed to BYU on Saturday, making tonight's game against the University of Houston in the Moody Center a must win. All of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we are now officially removed from the 2023 season, seven long months away from the 2024 season. Um, hopefully it goes by, you know, fast. Like hopefully we just look up one day and college football is here, but uh, we're built for this, right? We deal with it every year, the longest off season in sports for literally no reason, right? But It'll be here before we know it, hopefully, right? Or at least that's what I keep telling myself. When we look at the 2024 season, projecting ahead, right? Because that's all we can do right now, right? We have no football. There are five teams that have been identified by, you know, like national pundits, college football fans, people on social media, you know, period, as the teams that are best suited to win the national championship in 2024, right? Like, I think these are the five teams that have identified, have been identified by most people as having the best rosters in college football and being in the best position to win a national championship in 2024. Now we are moving to a 12 team playoff and you could say anything can happen, which we know in college football is not the case. Anything cannot happen, right? We know the, the teams that win the national championship in college football, even in this new era of NIL and the one-time transfer rule are the teams with the most money, right? The teams that have the four and five star players and the teams that have the most talent on the field. Right. But you know, I guess theoretically you could say that there are going to be 12 teams next year that have a chance to win the national championship. But for my money, right, I think one of these five teams will be hoisting the trophy. And that's Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, Oregon, and Ole Miss. And that seems to be the consensus amongst people that watch or follow college football. And I think the biggest reason for these teams being the five consensus national championship contenders right now, at least legitimate national championship contenders, is the way that these teams have reloaded in the transfer portal heading into the 2024 season. All four of these teams mentioned besides Georgia have a top 10 transfer class, according to 24-7 Sports. Georgia has only taken four or five transfers, so they're outside of the top 10, but they have an average player rating of 91, right? So quality over quantity, and they brought in Trevor Etienne, one of the best players in college football, and I think he's going to have a huge season next year at Georgia. Oregon, Texas, and Ohio State all have an average player rating of 90-plus. I think Ohio State is at 94, and then Texas and Oregon are both at 91 and 92, respectively. And then Ole Miss is at 89.5, but they've brought in 17 transfers, right? And Ole Miss uses 
the transfer portal differently than most schools, right? They don't use it to reload. They literally use it to rebuild their roster, right? Like they go into the transfer portal just as much as they go into the high school ranks, right? Lane Kiffin definitely wants to fortify that roster with experience, talent, and depth, right? So 89.5 average player rating with 17 transfers, like half of those being three-star transfers for depth is really good, right? So all of these programs have not just brought in a bunch of players because Texas A&M has the number two overall transfer class because they've brought in a bunch of players. And I'm not clowning Texas A&M. They have a new coach. Of course, you have to do that. But you have to add context to these, you know, class rankings, right? Because the teams that bring in the most players are going to have high ranked classes. But are you bringing in players that move the needle? I would say Texas A&M up to this point that I've seen, they haven't really. But Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, Ole Miss, and Texas have. And that's why they're national championship contenders going into next season but excluding georgia because like i said they're not even a top 10 class and haven't brought in a bunch of transfers which of these teams has the best haul up until this point right and we're going to compare ohio state oregon Ole miss and texas and to me out of these four teams the team right now that has the number one transfer uh, portal class is ohio state right when you're able to bring in the number one overall player in the portal that's going to help you get the number one class on locked on longhorns right caleb downs who, in my opinion, is arguably one of the best defensive players in the country right now, probably a top a top five uh, defensive player in the country right now. I think he's definitely the best safety in the country already uh, as a true sophomore. And last year at Alabama, in, as a true freshman, he led that team in tackles, right? And he's a direct result of Nick Saban retiring and, you know, Caleb Downs deciding to move on and, and play elsewhere to finish out his college career. I thought he would end up at Georgia. Uh, you know, on Kirby Smart's defense, but he's deciding to go to Ohio State, who was absolutely loaded uh, going into next year. And, you know, Caleb Downs is certainly uh, one of the biggest reasons why. And when you talk about impact, like I said, he's the uh, best safety in the country right now for my money. And when you if you watch the NFL and you look at a player like Kyle Hamilton on, you know, the Baltimore Ravens defense who helped them have one of the best defenses in NFL history this season. I know they just lost to Patrick Mahomes, you know, arguably the GOAT over the weekend. But Kyle Hamilton was the second best player on the field if you watch that game. And Caleb Downs can have that type of impact in every game he plays. A future top 10 pick in the NFL draft. And Ohio State definitely got the best player in the portal in Caleb Downs. And then they got their best running back in college football, arguably out of the transfer portal as well. Quinshawn Jenkins to pair with Travion Henderson, giving them the best backfield in the country. He had 3,000 scrimmage yards and 34 touchdowns the last two years at Ole Miss in the SEC and now will be at Ohio State. So Caleb Downs and Quinshawn Jenkins, two superstars out of the portal who absolutely moved the needle for Ohio State. Then you get an upgrade at the quarterback position in Will Howard. He's not on the level of a Dwayne Haskins or a CJ Stroud or a Justin Fields, right? You know, but I do think he's an upgrade over Kyle McCord uh, that they had last year, starting quarterback in Will Howard with two years of experience at Kansas State. And he has all the physical tools to excel at a high level in that Ohio State offense and passing game. And I think next year with the defense they have, with the running game they have, they'll likely lean on that anyway. And then Will Howard will just be able to make plays outside of that right so this Ohio State football team is going to be really good like I said I don't think he's on the level of a CJ Stroud or Justin Fields or anything like that but Will Howard is certainly good enough to win games at a high level in college football so they upgraded at the quarterback position for this year and then also got their quarterback of the future a five-star out of the transfer portal because he was already enrolled Julian Sain uh, who was ranked as the number three quarterback in the 2024 class and a top 20 recruit overall 
transferred, I guess. He didn't decommit, but he transferred because he was already enrolled from Alabama to Ohio State. So not only did you upgrade at the quarterback position this year, you had a five-star quarterback fall in your lap because Nick Saban retired. And then you got the starting center for Alabama last season, Seth McLaughlin. I know he wasn't great last year. I know the Alabama offensive line as a whole wasn't great last year. But with that type of pedigree, I think he could still upgrade this Ohio State offensive line. So They've brought in superstar level players in the transfer portal and also got their quarterback of the future of five star in this class. And that's why I think Ohio State is number one in terms of transfer class and getting into next season right now. Number two, I got Oregon. Right. And the same thing with Ohio State. You were able to bring in your quarterback for right now and your quarterback of the future, a five star quarterback. Right. Dylan Gabriel for this season, one of the most experienced quarterbacks in college football and one of the best performing last season fits perfectly in this offense. Right. They like to you know throw a lot of short passes, get the ball out really quickly. And that's something he's excelled in for the majority of his college career under Jeff Libby. And then you get your quarterback of the future in Dante Moore, a five star quarterback out of Michigan who was at UCLA last year. And some scouts had as the number one quarterback in Arch Manning's class in 2023. So he's going to be really good. I believe at Oregon, you got Evan Stewart, who to me is the best overall wide receiver in the transfer portal, a player who still has Belitnikov, best receiver in college football type of potential. And he will be playing in his best situation by far since high school at Oregon compared to the last two years at Texas A&M. And he has a, he's going to be in a culture, you know, at Oregon under Dan Lanning, That'll force him to get in line. Right. We've heard, you know, a lot about these players that were at Texas A&M. It was all me, me, me and money over, you know, success on the football field. We heard things about, you know, Evan Stewart quitting on his high school team. He's not going to be able to go there and have a me attitude at Oregon. Right. He's going to have to get in line. But I think that'll be good for him. And I think we'll see the best production from Evan Stewart we've seen by far since he left high school and came to college. And then. Two priority targets for the Longhorns on the defensive side of the ball. Jamari Caldwell from the University of Houston, one of the best defensive tackles in the country, undoubtedly would be the best defensive tackle on this team right now for the Longhorns. And Jabbar Muhammad, a priority corner for the Texas Longhorns, probably would be the best corner on this Texas Longhorns football team right now. So two priority targets for Texas that both ended up choosing Oregon. One of the biggest reasons why I have Oregon as the number two class over Texas heading into next season. Now, at number three, it comes down to Texas or Ole Miss, and I'm going with the Texas Longhorns, right? When you look at it, Isaiah Bond and Matthew Golden were two of the highest-ranked receivers in the portal, and Steve Sarkeesian did a really good job of bringing them in to help replace the production lost by Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell. You're also losing Jordan Whittington as well, and I think you have Jonte Cook on board to help replace that production, but you brought in Silas Bolden from Oregon State, who can be explosive in the run game the receiving game and the return game. You lost JT Sanders, who, you know, probably was the second best tight end in college football last season, but you replaced him with an explosive tight end from Alabama and Amari Nightblack, who averaged 16 yards per reception last year at Alabama. And last year on your defense, I think safety and edge rusher were your two weak spots, two weak spots. And you fortified those positions with edge rusher, Trey Moore, who has 22 sacks the last two years at UTSA and Andrew Makuba, who was a three-year starter at the safety position at Clemson. So Texas, a legitimate national championship contender who is certainly reloaded in the portal heading into 2024. And when you look at Ole Miss, um, like I said, they brought in 17 transfers. A lot of them are just three-star, you know, transfers who are probably more than likely going to be deaf pieces, but they've also brought in a couple of players who will move the needle in the 2024 season as well. Walter Nolan, uh, the best and most versatile defensive tackle in the country, number one player in the high school 2022 class and the number three overall player in the portal to be able to bring in a defensive lineman like that, you know, out of the transfer portal definitely moves the needle and gives them a superstar level player 
at Ole Miss on the defensive line. And then they added two of them, right? Princely, I'm not going to mess up his last name, but spent the last, you know, four years at the University of Florida, 11 and a half sacks the last two years at the edge position, arguably the best edge rusher in the transfer portal coming out. And the stats really don't show how disruptive he is, right? You have to look at pressures, hurries, and things of that nature to show how he's been one of the best edge rushers over the last few years in college football, even at the University of Florida. And I think his best year is ahead of him at Ole Miss. Juice Wells, who was a priority target for the Longhorns, only had three catches last year at South Carolina, dealt with injuries all season. But the two years prior, had over 2,100 yards and 22 touchdowns, super explosive player. And then they also have brought in four-star transfer players at linebacker, running back, safety, corner, and tight end. So like I said, when we look at Georgia, Ole Miss, Oregon, Ohio State, and Texas, the biggest reason we view these teams as the five biggest threats to win the national championship next year or the five legitimate national championship contenders going into the 2024 season is the work they've done this offseason in the transfer portal to reload their rosters. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we debate, is Steve Sarkeesian really the fifth best coach in the SEC? I don't think so. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay Guaranteed Fit only available to U.S. customers. All right, so there is a publication called Saturday Down South. They do a lot of content for the SEC. And 24 hours ago, yesterday, at some point on Sunday, they released a list of their head coaching rankings, right, post-Nick Saban, right? So who are the best 16 head coaches in the SEC? Sorry, I had to pause that while I sneezed. Who are the 16 best head coaches in the SEC heading into next season? Right. Um, You know, ranked one through 16, obviously, since the departure of Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian came in at number five. So we're really only worried about the top five on this list. But they had Kirby Smart, Ryan Kelly, Kalen DeBoer, Lane Kiffin at number four and Steve Sarkeesian at number five. And I just really don't understand how Sark is at number three on this list, especially if we're talking about the best head coaches in the SEC. Now, if we're just talking about like generally in college football, then I absolutely understand the argument for putting Kalen DeBoer over Steve Sarkeesian. I really don't understand the argument for Lane Kiffin over Steve Sarkeesian anyway, but I could see the argument for Kalen DeBoer. But if we're talking about specifically in the SEC, then I think Steve Sarkeesian has to get that nod. Now, before we get down to three, four, and five, we have to address number one and two. And of course, I think now that, um, Nick Saban has retired. You have to give the nod to Kirby Smart. He's won two out of the last three national championships. He didn't even get a chance to defend his national championship in 2023 because they lost the SEC championship. But I think based on what I saw, if you would have put Georgia in the field with three, with any other three teams in college football, Georgia's probably sitting on three straight national championships. I think 
Kirby Smart has built the premier program in college football, especially since Nick Saban has retired, right? And I think they should be the favorites going into next season to win the national championship again. So there is no doubt in my mind that Kirby Smart not only is the best head coach going into next season in the SEC, but he's the best head coach going into next season in college football. So no debate there in terms of number one. Number two, Brian Kelly, there's really no debate there for me either, right? I know some people will scoff at, you know, Brian Kelly and, He's not the most likable figure, but it's hard to deny what he's been able to do in college football. And I know he hasn't had the high end success. People, you know, cite, well, when he got to the college football playoffs with Notre Dame, they got smoked. Right. When he got to the national championship, the BCS national championship uh, game with Notre Dame, they got smoked. Right. But we still have to look at those as accomplishments. Right. He still was able to get to the college football playoffs multiple times. He still was able to get to the BCS national championship game. And he's also had 10 win seasons at Cincinnati, Notre Dame. And at LSU, right? And he's only been at LSU for two years. And this year, they went nine and three in the regular season, had one of the best wide receivers in college football, had a Heisman winner at quarterback, but just so happened to have one of the worst defenses in college football. Now, of course, one of the worst defenses in college football gets attributed to Brian Kelly as well. But that LSU team could have been a legitimate contender if their defense was just average, right? Like this is a defense that gave up 55 points to Ole Miss, right? So Brian Kelly's a hell of a coach, right? And there's no you know, doubt or debate in my mind that he's the second best head coach in the SEC, even though Sark is moving up the ranks. But now we get to number three. And like I said, when we talk about the SEC specifically, I do not see the argument for Kalen DeBoer over Steve Sarkeesian. Kalen DeBoer is an outstanding head coach, right? He has a career winning percentage of over 90%, right? He has a power five winning percentage specifically at Washington of over 90%. He has a bowl win against Texas in the Alamo Bowl a playoff win, right, against Texas in the Sugar Bowl, and a national championship appearance, right? He took a four-win Washington team in 2021 and did not lose four games the next two years at Washington, right? He's a hell of a coach. Went 25-3 and over the last two seasons with a Washington team that had four wins the year prior to him taking over. He is also 2-0 and against Steve Sarkeesian, right? Head-to-head has to matter. I acknowledge that. But... The reason I don't think you can put Kalen DeBoer over Steve Sarkeesian as an SEC head coach is because he has never participated in an SEC game, not home, not away, not neutral site, not at Washington or not at Indiana. He has never participated in an SEC game. So how can you be the third best head coach in the SEC conference if you never experienced playing an SEC game? And if you're going to tell me that the SEC is the best conference in college football, and it just means more. And if you're going to scream that Texas is not ready for the SEC because things are so different in this conference, then how can the third best coach in this conference, or how can Kalen DeBoer be the third best coach in this conference if he's never coached an SEC game as a coordinator, position coach, or head coach? His first SEC game in 2024 will be his first SEC game, period. We don't know the type of coach he is in the SEC. If you're going to tell me that this this conference is dramatically different than all of the other ones, and it takes so many different things and intangibles and 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 grit and grind to win in this conference, then how can he be the third best coach in this conference if he's never participated in an SEC game? Period. At least the last three years, Texas has played an SEC game under Steve Sarkeesian. And Steve Sarkeesian has three years of coaching experience in the SEC. So to me, like I said, you cannot tell me Kalen DeBoer is the third best coach 
in this conference if he's never participated in an SEC game, if it truly means more. Also, Kenneth DeBoer has yet to prove he can recruit at a high level, right? He was able to bring over Michael Pink Jr. from his relationship with him at Indiana, but all of those receivers were already there, right? Like most of those talented players that we saw putting on for Washington to help get them to the national championship game were already on that roster when Kalen DeBoer took over. Kalen DeBoer has no track record of being an elite recruiter, while Steve Sarkeesian has four top five recruiting classes to his name three straight at Texas and one in his last full year at USC. Right. So like I said, Kalen DeVore overall is a really good coach and you can make the argument. He is a better coach than Steve Sarkeesian, especially because he's beaten them twice in their two head to head matchups. But if we're talking about the context of in the sec, he does not have the resume to compete with Steve Sarkeesian up until this point. And Lane Kiffin in no world should be over Steve Sarkeesian. He should not be at number four, over Sark. The only argument that you can make for Lane Kiffin over Steve Sarkeesian is that he has three power five seasons of 10 plus wins and he has five total of 10 plus wins. Two of those coming at FAU, which I'm not counting at all in comparison to Steve Sarkeesian, where Sark only has one 10 plus win season that came in 2023. Now here come the arguments for Steve Sarkeesian. Sark has 17 ranked wins in his career against AP top 25 teams compared to 10 for Lane Kiffin. So Sark has seven more ranked wins in his career than Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin has coached 23 more games. That's the equivalent of two regular seasons. And Sark has seven more top 25 wins. Ole Miss has not beaten Georgia or Alabama under Lane Kiffin. Sark has beaten Alabama on the road and came within a point of doing it twice as a 21-point underdog to Alabama, right? And Sark's 2023 season, a Power 5 Conference Championship, in the Big 12, something Lane Kiffin has never done, win a Power 5 conference and a college football playoff appearance, something Lane Kiffin has never done, is better than any season Lane Kiffin has had as a head coach, right? So I understand why you would put Kalen DeBoer at number three, but like I said, in the context of the SEC, he has not proven that he is unquestionably a better coach than Steve Sarkeesian, and Lane Kiffin has no argument at all in terms of being over Steve Sarkeesian as a head coach heading into the 2024 season. My rankings... Kirby Smart, number one, Brian Kelly, number two, Steve Sarkeesian, number three, whoever, <laughs> between four and 16, it doesn't really matter. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we get into the Texas basketball team and why tonight against the University of Houston is a must-win game. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns brought to you by FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The Chiefs and 49ers, a rematch of the Super Bowl a few years ago. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. And FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a dub or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win the Super Bowl, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. You might be able to even bet on the national anthem, which is crazy, right? So many different ways to win money. New customers join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the National Football League. I might even bet on the halftime show. Like, I might even bet on what songs Usher going to sing. Like, what song Usher going to come out and sing first, right? Like, 
Yeah, you're right, FanDuel. I'm trying to end my season with a dub or two or three because I lost a lot of money during the football season. <laughs> Not with FanDuel, but with some other sites. So, yeah, y'all, y'all go to FanDuel. Y'all good, right? <laughs> All right. When we look at this Texas basketball team, uh, they've been on a roller coaster season. Uh, before their last two games, they were projected to miss the tournament. And, um, you know, definitely in the Big 12 in a conference like this, the best conference in college basketball, you're going to see a lot of swings, right? Ups and downs, right? And then it was like, you know, before these last two games, it was fire Roddy Terry. They're not going to make the tournament. And the season has been a disaster. Then after those two wins, it was like, okay, Texas is trending up. You know, all right, we're starting to play Texas Longhorns basketball. Let's see what happens. And then on Saturday, of course, uh, you know, just playing in this tough conference, playing against a ranked team at BYU and playing against a team that was better than you on that day. They fell 84 to 72. And unfortunately, right, you know, all that momentum, it seems like they gained from winning those two games against, uh, you know, Oklahoma and Baylor. Seems like they lost that momentum on Saturday, which makes tonight's game against the University of Houston a top five team in the country. I'm not sure what they'll be ranked when the rankings come out today. They should still be top five. That makes tonight's game a must win for the Texas Longhorns, because if you win against Oklahoma and Baylor, but then lose against BYU and Houston, that essentially cancels out. And you're right back where you started, even with the loss to BYU. If you can say you went three and one over the last week, week and a half against four top 20 teams, essentially top 21 teams, because that's where BYU was ranked and. Yeah, if you went three and one against those teams, that's really good, right? And Texas still is in a better position than they were prior to the Baylor game, right? After the UCF loss. So, you know, I think that's why tonight is a must-win game, right? Because if you lose this game, you're right back where you started. You're right back at the position you were in, you know, probably projected to miss the tournament after losing at UCF. And if you win this game tonight, you have three really, really good resume-enhancing wins over the last uh you know, week and a half. And you can't expect, you know, this basketball team, even as talented as it is, not as talented as last year's team, but you would be hard pressed to expect any team to win all four of those games, the last four games they had, including tonight's game against the University of Houston in the Big 12. So if they can beat Houston, then that makes up for the BYU loss. But if they lose to Houston tonight, then it makes the BYU loss even bigger. And like I said, we're right back to where we were prior to the Baylor game or after the UCF game where everybody in the world, it seems like hated Rodney Terry, right? When you look at it, BYU was just a better team on Saturday in terms of offensive execution, getting quality shots and defending at a high level. The Cougars shot 64% from the floor, which is, you know, <laughs> unconscious and even crazier than that. They shot 76% from two point range. So essentially against the university of Texas, they were out there doing shoot around, right? Like 64% from the field, 76% from two point range. Texas had no chance to win that game, right? Texas shot 44% from the floor and 36% from three point range. Like I said, based on the way that, you know, BYU shot, I'm surprised they only lost by 12 points, but they really had no shot to win that game. And honestly, the 12 point margin, doesn't do it justice, right? Because it felt like BYU really ran us off the court. And even with their offensive woes, and even at times when it feels like only Max Acemas and Dylan DeSue can get a bucket for this basketball team, this team can still put up points, right? Like even though they didn't look great at all in this game offensively and BYU played really good defense, they still put up 72 points, right? There's a lot of teams in college basketball that aren't scoring 72 points consistently. This was a down day for them and they scored 72 points. The problem is the defense that they hung their hat on all last season and the defense that got them to the Elite Eight is now, <laughs> you know, has gone ghost on us for the majority of the season. It's very inconsistent. Like I said, giving up 84 points and BYU probably could have scored 100 if they wanted to, right? That's how well they executed in that game. Also, what put strain on our offense was BYU made the decision not to guard Dylan Mitchell, 
you know, down the stretch. They were double teaming Max Aismas and they were triple teaming Dylan DeSue. And there was really nothing we could do to take the pressure off of those two players offensively. And when you look at this basketball team, we are a team that if Dylan DeSue and Max Aismas aren't great every night, we don't have a chance to win. And on top of them being great, you need somebody to come along and be that third guy that particular night, right? Whether it's going to be Ithiel Horton, who had 20 against UCF, whether it's going to be, you know, Kendall Weaver, who's coming on of late, whether it's going to be, um, you know, Tyrese Hunter, who had 20 and hit the game winner against Baylor. Somebody has to step up and be that third guy and take that pressure off of Max Aismas and Dylan DeSue. And we're just not seeing that consistently enough, right? So all of the talent that we had on this basketball team, all of the players that we you know, talked about coming out of the transfer portal, and really at this point now, it comes down every night to Max Aismas and Dylan DeSue having to be superstars. And that defense that we saw that propelled this team to the Elite Eight last year, like I said, it is inconsistent. Most of the times it does not show up at all. And that's the reason why right now this Texas team is in – dire need of a win tonight because they are on the verge of missing the tournament completely after going to the elite eight last season thank you for tuning in to another episode of locked on longhorns part of the locked on podcast network your team every 